0: Getting back to the story of Nehemiah. Chapter 4, we saw how as they were glorifying God, the enemy was fast at work. We saw the enemy will do anything he can to uh, intimidate, to insult. He insults the worker, he insults the work, he'll do whatever he can. But the enemy is slick. The enemy uh, will do everything he can to cease God from being glorified, to cease his kingdom from expanding. If you have ever gotten serious about reading God's Word, if you've ever gotten serious about studying God and and, and who He is and applying His principles in your life, you understand that the enemy doesn't like that. He'll do whatever he can to thwart that from taking root, to thwart you and to throw stuff at you so that you cannot have an easy life. It seems like when we get serious about a relationship with Christ that things get more and more difficult, and it ought not to catch us by surprise, but what we're going to see today in chapter 5 is something that often does catch us by surprise, and I would suggest this, and this is the title of my sermon, selfishness is the number one killer of God's glory. That what takes place in chapter 5 is not the enemy, it is from within. It's the internal strife from within the group of Jews that were living behind the walls of Jerusalem. Remember, the walls are half built now. The enemy is upset, the enemy has done everything they can, but what happens in chapter 5 brings everything to a screeching halt. In fact, you will not see one mention of the wall being built in chapter 5 at all because of what takes place. And so as we go through this, I want us to to see that it is selfishness that is at the root of ceasing God's glory. Because we're sinful people, selfishness always pops up in the church. But when we desire to have our way, to have our will, our way, that's selfishness. And selfishness will cease God's glory. It will stop it in its tracks. And so we're going to look at the first five verses and the issues that were going on. And then we're going to look at how Nehemiah dealt with it. And what I'm going to ask all of us to do at the end of our time today is to make a commitment to deal with conflict in life the way Nehemiah did. And he'll give us six principles that we can use in that process. But we're going to see four different groups of people in the first five verses that were dealing with issues. And so you see right here in verse 1, chapter 5, Now there arose a great outcry of the people, of their wives against the Jewish brothers. And so this was an internal issue. And, And if you understand Jewish culture, you understand that for the women to be speaking up, this was a big deal. Women normally didn't speak uh, in public. They weren't, uh, their, their status was kind of down here. And so for the fact that they were speaking up was a big deal. And so there are four different groups. The first group was those who did not own any land and needed food. We'll see here in verse 3 that there's a famine going on. And because of the building of the wall, these people weren't going out to work other people's fields. Um, and so that they, they weren't getting food. And so because they are trying to restore God's glory, there's no food. On top of that, there's the famine. And to make even more uh, of an impact on the food is that now there's more Jews coming back to Jerusalem and helping the building of the wall with limited food. So there, there's a, a big deal that's going on. The second group of people were landowners who were mortgaging their fields to buy food. You know, Again, because of the famine that's there, they're, they're not getting that. The enemies of the Jews were also sneaking back into the walls because the walls were down. And anything that they would grow, they were taking for themselves anyway. And so they're having to mortgage their own fields to fellow Jews to be able to go and purchase food. So verse 2, uh, for there were those who said, with our sons and daughters are many, so let us uh, get grain that we may eat and keep alive. Verse 3, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And then we have a, a third group who were suffering because of the high taxes that we see in verse 4, and when those were said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And, and so, you know, there, there's all these financial stresses that are taking place. May I just say this? Anytime there's financial stress, it magnifies everything, doesn't it? We all understand that. When when we uh, do it to ourselves or we have unexpected bills because of medical things or whatever, the addition to finances puts more stress on everything, and that's certainly what is taking place here. And so we have people that had no land that were in need of food. We had people that had land that were mortgaging those lands to get food. We had those that were in need of to pay taxes that were taking loans from other people. And then we had so that were so desperate that they were actually putting their children into slavery. Verse six, or verse five. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. And so you have childhood slavery that's going on. Now here's the interesting thing. This is all against the law of Moses. Jews knew better. Now they could lend money, but they were not to charge interest, and they were not to enslave one another. And so you have this going on here, and so you have these four different groups of people that are really in dire circumstances, and they're upset. And so they are complaining to Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah had only been here for a short while. He didn't know all this was going on. And so what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at is how Nehemiah dealt with this, how he restored God's glory. Remember, the whole purpose of rebuilding the wall was to restore God's glory. You know, the, the enemies had, uh, you know, destroyed the walls. The enemies are taunting the, the, the Jews. They're coming in and stealing their stuff. And so Nehemiah is all about the restoring of God's glory. May I just suggest this, that as we, as a church, move forward, as we seek to glorify God, there will always be conflict. Selfishness will always rear its head. But we need to remember it's all about the restoration of God's glory. Does that make sense? We need to remember to restore God's glory. And so the first thing that Nehemiah did, he heard their complaints. We see that all through the first five verses, that they came to him and he listened to their complaints. Now that may may be too simplistic, but I think all good leaders understand the necessity to recognize they don't understand everything that's going on. And so they need to be approachable to hear the complaints of the people. But the other thing that Nehemiah did is he felt their pain. Now, this used to be something that I wasn't very good at. I think because of my athletic background, that was all trained out of me. I didn't feel for anybody else. If they got hurt, I was like, well, sorry, dude. Um, You know, and sometimes in a game, if they got hurt, it was to my advantage. And, you know, and so, but you know what God did? He took me through some very deep, dark times in my life that now when people go through stuff, I have an empathy that wasn't there before. I think great leaders especially spiritual leaders empathize with their people. We see in verse 6 that Nehemiah felt their pain. You know here's what it says, I was very angry when I heard their words and their outcry. Nehemiah was immediately angry. Now you might not think that anger is empathy. But when Nehemiah understood that this was a violation of the law of Moses, he understood that this was against God's, God's law, and he got immediately angry. Oftentimes in church, we look at anger as a sin. And anger, most of the time in our experience, is sin, that when people get angry, the way they respond is sinful. But yet, God has said in his word, you can be angry and still not sin. Nehemiah was outraged by what was going on, and may I suggest a reason he was outraged, because this had halted God's glory from being made known, and it was from within the camp. The very Jews that were supposed to be the leaders, the nobles and the officials, were taxing, or not taxing, but they were they were giving these loans and making them mortgage their lands and charging ridiculous interest and having their kids in slavery. And so Nehemiah was incredibly frustrated and angry. But I want you to notice what he did next. And here's the key. He, could, he consulted before confronting. You know, when we hear something from somebody comes and they, they share something with us, you know, it's easy to jump to conclusions immediately and, and make a quick response i know i've done that i think we've all done that and i've learned the hard way that i do not normally always have all the information available nehemiah immediately consulted and it's interesting how he says this um, here in verse seven you know he actually uses the phrase i consulted with myself now he doesn't have split personalities he wasn't consulting with another person inside of him but we know that nehemiah was a man of prayer You know, some people like to count to 10. I've got ADD and I can't get past two, so it doesn't work real well. So I've trained myself to at least attempt to take deep breaths. There's something physiological about taking a deep breath when I am incredibly frustrated that allows me to stop and therefore to consult, to say, Dave, make sure that you get all the information that is out there available. Many people, my kids have heard me say this, I've said it here in church, you know what, I'll get to the bottom of it. And by that I mean I'm going to go do research and I'm going to gather as much information as is possible so that I can make the right decision. Nehemiah hadn't been there that long. He's hearing all these things from the people. He knew what the law of Moses said and he was angry and he took time to consult with himself. But here's the next thing that he did, and this is difficult. that He then, after doing that, after hearing their complaints, empathizing with them, consulting, then he confronted and in, in that order, it's easy to confront the enemy. You know, it's, it's easy for those who come and oppose us, it's easy to confront the enemy. But confronting your own, there's something different about that. I'm not going to ask for you to share with a raise of hands, but how many of you have ever had to confront your own parents? That's hard, isn't it? When, when you have to go up against your parents because you, you, you know something as there's an injustice, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so it is in the body of believers. Confronting fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is very difficult. Yet, when we remember God's glory, it's all about the restoration of God's glory and continuing to make God's glory known. Sometimes, because we still sin, we need to confront one another. And so Nehemiah, we see again in in verse 7 he consulted with himself, and then I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Now, these are the leaders in Jerusalem that Nehemiah is going up against. And we we saw before, remember in chapter, I believe chapter two, that there was nobles that didn't want to work on the wall, remember? I would suggest these are the same ones. They were in cahoots with Tobiah uh, in in this business relationship, because again, Tobiah was married by, uh, he was related by marriage to some of them. So here's the enemy who was getting all the top secret information of what was happening beyond the walls, that these guys are in business with him, and, and they're the ones that are exacting all this interest from the fellow Jews. Nehemiah is going up against them. You know, it's not easy when we have to confront one another. But there's six things that Nehemiah did that I want to encourage us to do as we do that. The very first is, again, we need to remember God's glory. Remember God's glory. It's all about giving God glory. And when Nehemiah went through, there was six different appeals that he did. The first is that he loved them. You know, and this is so important that when we confront one another, that we need to remember the command that Jesus has given us to love one another. Right? Love the individual. Hate the sin. Right? The elders and I are meeting together on Wednesday nights, and we're really talking through what a what a disciple is if we're going to make disciple makers what is that how do we know when we have done that and so we're talking through these scriptural characteristics of a disciple maker and a leader and so we've got this list that's on the board in my office and we're talking through but you know one of the conversations that we had this wednesday is that every issue every problem in the church is a discipleship issue it really is and when we recognize that, that selfishness is a need for more of Jesus, bitterness is a need for more of Jesus, unforgiveness is a need for more of Jesus, no matter what the issue is, it's a discipleship issue. And when we can separate the issue from the individual, it helps us what? Love them. So Nehemiah, four times in, this, in these verses, he uses the word brother. Let's look at verse 8. You see this start to, to come out here in verse 8, and he said to them, as We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers so that they may be sold to us. They were silent, and they could not say a word. He's, he's, he's appealing to them, and we'll see this again a little bit later, that, hey, we were in slavery because of our sin. We got into, God allowed us to be in bondage to evil nations because we didn't keep the law of Moses. And here you guys are doing the same things as we're trying to rebuild the wall. And so he, he was coming to them in love as a fellow Jew. The second thing he did, and we see this all throughout the whole process, is that he continued to bring up God's word. He knew that this was a violation of the law of Moses. And we need to keep this at the center of everything that we do as a body of believers. We need to agree that this is God's word, that it's without error, that it's got instructions for us to live by. We don't get to pick and choose what we use. And so all throughout here, Nehemiah is referring back to Leviticus chapter 25, that you can't charge interest to fellow Jews. But here's the other interesting thing here, and you've heard me share before that all throughout the Bible there are themes. And here's one of them that comes back out that we need to remember in the midst of dealing with conflict, and it is God's redemptive plan. That God is trying to redeem us into a right relationship with him. All of us are sinners, and all of us are saved by grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he is wanting them to recognize, as we saw before, that, hey, we we were bought back out of slavery, and now you're doing the same things that got us into slavery in the first place. In fact, you're enslaving your own. Sin so easily entangles us and keeps us in bondage. There's no way we can keep the law. That's why Jesus had to die, because we can't keep the law, because we are sinners and that His blood covers us and gives us victory over sin. Before you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can do nothing but sin, right? But then when you come to faith in Christ, you have a choice. You can walk by faith and obedience and walk in righteousness or sin that's what paul talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit and so nehemiah knowing that he's talking that god wants to redeem he's he's uh, coming to them he's called the sin what it is it's sin he's calling them to restore god's glory he's calling them to love one another he wants them to be redeemed to right standing with god and with one another but then he goes to the fourth thing he's talking about their witness This is something we don't often think about when we're resolving conflict. We don't think about loving one another, right? Because our selfishness comes to the head. We don't think about glorifying God. We don't think about um, God's redemptive plan that he wants to redeem us into right relationship. But we often forget about our witness. The whole purpose of restoring conflict, of dealing with conflict, is to restore right relationship and to keep our witness. Verse 9. So I said, the thing that you are doing, it is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? That what they're doing is just helping the the other nations, the enemies, keep them in bondage. It's making God look silly. Here's supposed to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what they were doing was quite the opposite. The next thing he does is he calls them to obedience. The reality of dealing with conflict in in any relationship in marriage in our homes in our church is that we need to continue to obey God's word it's all about bringing God glory and Nehemiah was calling them to be obedient verse 10 and 11 moreover I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain let us abandon this exacting of interest, return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And, and so Nehemiah, it's clear that Nehemiah was also lending them, but he wasn't charging them interest, and so he's saying, look, you, we need to do this God's way. Return to them everything that you have basically taken from them against God's law. And Leviticus In in chapter 25 it goes through the law of Moses and it talks about that they they could lend money but not charge interest and then the year of Jubilee was every fifth year and so even though they might be enslaved or even though they might have put their land up as collateral it was in the fifth year it was all given back. Nehemiah is calling for them to do that right now and then the sixth thing that he does is he reminds them of God's judgment. Oftentimes we make a vow to God. And we forget about the seriousness of that vow. Verse 12. They said, We will restore these that are required. We will restore these and require nothing of them. We will do as you say. So Nehemiah called the priest, and he made them swear to do as God has promised. And so he made them in front of all these people. Nehemiah confronted them. He confronted them in public. He called this great assembly together of all the people. When it's a public sin, it deserves a public confession. So he's called the whole assembly together, he's called them out, he's loving, loved them as brothers, he's spoken to them about God's redemptive plan, he's coming to them asking for obedience, and now he's asking them to make a vow before God Almighty. And they say they will. It's interesting, he calls the priest, and then it's, I want you to see the last three things that took place here. Because conflict, when dealt with properly, brings this result. Nehemiah did this, verse 13, I shook out the fold of my garment, and I said, So may God shake out every man from his house, from his labor, who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. We see the phrase in the New Testament, kick the dust off your sandals. It's similar to this, that when you would shake out the the folds in your robe, it it was really a, a statement of condemnation. What you have done is wrong. And so he was saying, may God shake you out if you do not hold your promise. And then I want you to see what happened next. And all the people, the whole assembly said, amen. You know, we agree. So be it. They were in agreement. But here's what happens when conflict is dealt with properly. And the people of God did as they had promised. And they praised the Lord. Most of the times, we don't deal with conflict in a godly way. For the restoration of the individuals together in right standing with God for God's glory. When when it's dealt with God's way, according to God's will, there is restoration. They agreed, they praised God together, and they worshiped him. The enemy will do everything he can to cease God from being glorified. As we move forward as a church and we seek to make disciples, we seek to make disciple makers, those who are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody who will listen so that their lives can be transformed with that truth, transformed with that gospel. We need to understand that stuff is going to happen. The more we get serious about being that kind of church, the more that's going to happen. These issues did not happen because of the building of the wall. They weren't caused by the building of the wall. These issues were just surfaced because of the stress of the building of the wall. As we move forward as a church, making God's glory known is not going to cause problems, but it'll rise to the surface issues that we need to deal with. I think we'd all agree that all of us are imperfect beings. All of us from time to time are selfish probably more times than we like to admit, are selfish. And therefore, we need to recognize that when it comes to dealing with conflict, we need to remember it's all about glorifying God. As we come to a conclusion this morning, what I'm asking you all to do is make a commitment. Make a commitment that as we move forward, both corporately as a church and individually as believers in Jesus Christ, that we would make a commitment to live as Nehemiah did, that we would love one another. Enough to, you know, then to say we're going to abide by God's word. And that if need be that from time to time that we will call each other out that say, you know what, Dave, I'm not so sure that that action lines up with God's word. That we would seek to restore the redemptive relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can maintain our witness and continue to share the love of Jesus Christ. You know, and call one another to obedience. So that when we stand before God Almighty one day, we can hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want you to think, last three to six months, a conflict that you were in with somebody else. Probably not too hard to remember. If one party would have displayed a selfless attitude, how much quicker would that conflict have been resolved? What if both parties did the same? You see what I'm saying? When we go about doing things God's way, we remember it's all about God's glory. Things usually turn out a little bit different than they do when our selfishness arises to the top. So we come to this time of invitation. Are you willing to make that kind of commitment that we're going to use this as the source of our guidance? We're going to all agree to abide by God's word and to live according to God's word. And then when it comes to dealing with one another, when there is conflict, that we will encourage one another to remember God's glory, encourage one another to abide and be obedient to his word. I'm just going to ask that you make that commitment as we come to this time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the story of Nehemiah, Lord, that it's not a story about all these great things that took place, but Lord, it's an honest story about some of the difficult things that were taking place that... We're happening from within. God, we all come to church every Sunday, and all of us have issues, and all of us are selfish. And Lord, oftentimes we, we have a hard time not thinking about ourselves. But God, I pray that you would help us to love one another as we love you, that you'd help us to be obedient to your word, that you'd help us to continue to read your word and to, to do the best we can to obey it together and to walk together in right relationship with you. God, I pray as we do so that you'll give us such a witness around this town that we are a loving church that loves one another and, and is about restoring the unity of being together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you do all these things so that we can continue to make your glory known in Williamsburg and beyond. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.